What is up, Brad fans? How you doing? How you living? Thank you so much for being here. Uh, I am happy to be here, and I am happy to bring to you this story. It was a listener-suggested story, but you had to know that this was one that we were, we were going to get to eventually. Too Brad for You does not let many uh, disease stories uh, pass us by. And this one involves what is arguably the deadliest infection in human history. So what are we talking about? Are we talking about Ebola? Are we talking about the flu? Are we talking about COVID or another coronavirus? No, no, we are not. We are talking about malaria. That's right, the malaria parasite. You've probably heard of it. If you've traveled to Africa or Southeast Asia or the Amazon, you've probably had to take anti-malarial pills. But were you aware that this is potentially the biggest killer in human history when it comes to infectious diseases? Maybe not. And that's probably in part because malaria doesn't cause these big dramatic pandemics like Spanish flu, the plague, or COVID. And that's because malaria unlike the viruses and bacteria that are responsible for the big dramatic outbreaks, is a parasite. And this parasite, as you'll hear from our guest later in the episode, is a eukaryote, meaning that in the big picture, in the big tree of life, malaria is more closely related to animals, like you and me, than it is to bacteria and virus. And there's another reason that malaria doesn't cause these big dramatic outbreaks. And that is because malaria has a complex life cycle that involves two hosts. One, of course, is us. The other is a mosquito. This reliance on a mosquito means that malaria is not transmitted directly from human to human. Therefore, instead of these massive flare-ups of malaria that are spurred on by human-to-human -human contact, malaria instead is attached to locations or wet seasons where and when mosquitoes breed. So let's talk about the life cycle. Within each of these two hosts, the human and the mosquito, the parasite undergoes a lot of dramatic changes or life cycle stages. It begins when an infected mosquito injects what's called the sporozoite into the human. The sporozoite enters the bloodstream and heads for the liver. Once there, the sporozoite develops into thousands and thousands of merozoites, which then head back out into the bloodstream and start to infect red blood cells. They feed on these red blood cells, multiplying even more, and kill the red blood cells. And this is where we get the disease. Fever, chills, aches, headache, and then death. Now, as these merozoites are feeding on blood cells, some of them will develop into gametocytes. Now, gametocytes can be thought of as the male and female of the parasite. These then get ingested by another mosquito that has come to take a blood meal, enter that mosquito, and undergo sexual reproduction, creating what's called an oocyst, or basically like a malaria egg. This then develops the sporozoites and gets put back into another human. So while malaria hasn't caused these big dramatic outbreaks throughout history, you haven't heard of the great malaria outbreak of 1412, for example. It's so deadly because it's so consistent. It's always there. Wherever there is standing water, wherever there are mosquitoes, there can be malaria. And it's been with humans since the beginning. Our Neolithic human ancestors dealt with malaria. The first writings of malaria occurred 4,000 years ago in ancient Chinese literature. 
It's believed that malaria has had a hand to play in many major historical events, such as the fall of Rome, the course of colonization, and even more recently in the 20th century, in World War II. It's believed that more U.S. servicemen died in the Pacific theater from malaria than they did of enemy combatants. Nowadays, though, because of our dramatic altering of the landscape, putting up cities, reducing standing bodies of water, and doing things like mosquito spraying, we've reduced the area in which malaria occurs to, as we mentioned off the top, Africa, specifically sub-Saharan Africa, parts of Southeast Asia, and the Amazon. But in these places, malaria remains deadly. Every year, it kills roughly 400 to 500,000 people many of them children. And even if these children don't die, they are often burdened with long-term effects from having had malaria infections. Long story short, malaria remains no joke. And the only things we have until recently to combat malaria have been mosquito control efforts and a few anti-malarial drugs. However, malaria has been developing resistance to these drugs for decades meaning a mass drug campaign is not going to solve the problem. Which brings us to today's story. Recently, a partnership between Path Malaria Vaccine Initiative, GlaxoSmithKline, the pharmaceutical company, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has developed Musquirex, the first malaria vaccine. It took about 30 years to develop this vaccine, and as we will hear from our guest, there is many a reason why creating a vaccine for these types of creatures, these parasites, is so difficult. So to talk us through some of the questions about the malaria vaccine, why it's been so hard to develop, how it works, what is the efficacy rate, what is it going to mean for people living in malaria endemic zones, I reached out to Dr. Constance Finney of the University of Calgary. She is a brilliant immunologist, parasitologist, and a good friend. And she joins in just a second to discuss the malaria vaccine. But first, you know the drill. Rate, subscribe, follow wherever you get your podcasts. All of that really does a lot for our visibility, and we appreciate it. You can also leave a comment. We will address the comments on air. Or you can go to toobradforyou.wordpress.com to find all the ways you can interact with the show. You can find our Twitter handle, our Instagram, at toobradforyou. You can find the email. You can find the voicemail. All of it is there, toobradforyou.wordpress.com. We would love to hear from you. We will read and play your comments on the air. And if you feel so inclined, you can donate using our buy me a coffee link that is again on our website toobradforyou.wordpress.com thank you very much for listening and now dr constance finney thank you so much constance for being here appreciate you taking the time we've all kind of heard about vaccines against viruses obviously we've we're going through covid right now so everyone's familiar with this we know about childhood viruses that we get uh, vaccinated against but we probably haven't heard so much about vaccinating against a parasite like malaria so what is it uh, about these kind of parasites that makes it so difficult to vaccinate against is it a size thing i know they have some immune evasion strategies is it you know that they have complex life cycles with different hosts is there anything uh, you can tell us about why it's been so difficult to to make a vaccine like this 
Um, yeah, so you touched on a lot of different things there, which are which are all correct. So, um, you know, complex life cycles is definitely one of them. So when you think about um, a virus, it kind of comes in, does its thing, and then comes out. Um, with a parasite, usually it will invade different organs and it will be very different at different stages. So, you know, the, the parasite that comes in may look very different from the parasite that comes out because while it's the same parasite, there are, there are different stages along the way. You can think about it as, you know, an egg, a juvenile, an adult. Um, and those all look very different to your immune system. And so you're trying to create a vaccine to essentially something that's, that's changing all the time. So that's tricky. It lives in different places, also tricky, with parasites as well. So I'm going to get a bit technical of my language, but they're, they're eukaryotes, so they're, they're closer to us. Viruses and bacteria are prokaryotes, so that uh, what they're made of is very different from what we're made of. And so there are easier ways for your immune system to tell the difference. When it comes to a eukaryote, which is what all animals um, uh, are, there are some similarities that exist between us all. So immune systems won't pick up on certain aspects of the parasites because they look too similar to us. So in some ways, um, parasites uh, have things that that allow them, well, allow, will we'll make our immune system not see them. Um, you talked about escape mechanisms. Most parasites infections are chronic in nature so you know you have parasites for um, a really long time i have toxoplasma right now I'm, I'm infected by that parasite i will have it for life and so they've kind of developed these strategies to be able to hide from our immune systems quite effectively um, and so trying to train your immune system which is essentially what a vaccine is doing to try and see a parasite is really difficult because you've got to overcome all those mechanisms that parasites have developed to try and hide away from our immune systems. You know, there's debate about certain things. Parasites have uh, more, that they're kind of bigger, more proteins, more ways of, of uh, being flexible than, than viruses necessarily. So, um, you know, that's also one aspect. But in general, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, umpteen times harder to develop a vaccine to parasites than it is to um, viruses. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like we have, you know, the fact that they're eukaryotes, so they're more closely sort of related to mm -hmm. us is one thing. But then there's like a real like it's it's like a complexity issue. Mm -hmm. they, they just have more proteins. They're yeah. bigger. They do different things. Yeah. They They grow in different ways where... Like, yeah, like you said, like a virus, it kind of just invades a cell, replicates and comes out. Yeah. So if you can kind of block that, it only has so many different avenues it can go. Whereas these parasites, they're traveling all over the body. They're doing different things. They yeah. have more complexity. Yeah. So it's a it's a real big challenge. So then um, can you explain to us a little bit then how the this new malaria vaccine works? So what did what were they able to do? They were able to find a target and maybe what light, what stage of the life cycle um, does this one attack? Because yes, malaria goes through different growth stages and different stages within a mosquito and then also within within our own bodies. Yeah, so there's, um, there's multiple different types of vaccines when you think of vaccines, um, especially with when you're thinking about parasites. So 
you have vaccines that are called transmission blocking vaccines. So they don't help you as an individual, but they help the population. So they're not always super popular because, um, you know, as an individual, you're taking the risk of the vaccine, but you might not be getting the benefits. So that would be trying to stop malaria spreading within the population. Another type of vaccine is a, a kind of anti-disease vaccine. That's kind of what a lot of the COVID vaccines are. When, when you hear about COVID vaccines in the news right now, they say, you know, they're 95% effective at stopping hospitalization. So you still get infected, but you don't get as ill. So in the case of malaria, that is one aspect. You can target the life cycle stage, which is in your blood, which is the one that makes you ill. You're still infected, but if you can stop that stage causing damage, you won't feel as much of the, of the um, disease than if you didn't have the vaccine. And then this vaccine um, that's been developed is actually an anti-infection vaccine. So the idea is that if, you, if it works effectively, you actually stop the parasite dead in its tracks when it comes in. So it's not able to replicate and it doesn't even get to the disease stage. So that's what this vaccine is trying to do. So it's, um, it's targeted against the sporozoite, which is the form that enters, that, that the, the mosquito transmits to you. And it's trying to block that stage from ever developing. So that's what the vaccine is doing now there's been loads of information in the news about all different kinds of vaccines. So this vaccine is what's called a multivalent vaccine. So it's um, a protein-based vaccine, essentially. So it is what vaccines do is they, they are trying to present the thing that you're trying to get rid of to the, to the immune system before it ever shows up. So you think about, um, you know, what this vaccine is trying to do. It's trying to show the immune system what malaria looks like. And so what they've done is they've, um, they've taken some of the, the bits of the sporozoite that the immune system can recognize, and they've put it into a vaccine so that you can show it um, to the immune system beforehand so that if you do get infected with malaria, it will be able to recognize that sporozoite, not allow it to replicate, and then you don't have malaria in your system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is like, I guess, more similar to, um, you know, vaccines that we've kind of grown up with yes. in terms of, yeah, when we're like, yep. again, like, let's use the COVID ones as the comparison, because that's what's on everyone's mm -hmm. mind. Whereas the COVID ones were these mRNA ones that we've all, you know, now are learning about. Uh, this is kind of more of a, a, a classic one yep. where we look at the parasite, we say, Oh, here's a little, you know, a little bit, bit of protein yep. that, that, yeah, that we can then synthesize. Mm -hmm. I think they synthesize yep. it, correct? Yeah. And then present, you know, use that in the, in the vaccine. So, so it's kind of more of like, we could say like a classic vaccine. Yes. And, and they've put a few tricks in there to try and uh, make your immune system pay attention. So one of the tricks they've done is they've tagged it to a viral protein, hepatitis B, because we know that your immune system recognizes that extremely well. And so um, when you get the, the malaria vaccine, you're also <laughs> going to make a, your bonus is that you also make an immune response to this hepatitis B. Um, but it allows because the immune system is better at recognizing hepatitis B, it means that you're kind of instead of just showing it something, you're showing it something that's now flashing and jingly and sparkly so that the immune system really pays attention. And then what Glaxo spent a lot of time working on as well is adjuvants. So, you know, most people have now heard about vaccines with different adjuvants in them. Adjuvants are essentially 
combinations of molecules that, again, make your system, your immune system pay attention. So that there are ways to bring more immune cells to the party so that more immune cells can pay attention and see what's going on. And so that the big developments here have been tagging a bit of the, the hepatitis B uh, virus so that you can really amplify the signal and then having a good adjuvant that amplifies the signal as well. Matt, that's really interesting because I, I like I, w- I was aware of adjuvants that, you know, there's sort of just these, yeah, like combinations of molecules that, you know, provoke the immune system, stimulate the immune system. But I did not know about the the hepatitis B tagging. So essentially, we're just taking, yeah, like same thing. You, you look at the parasite itself that we want to target. We get a little bit of that mm-hmm. and present that to the immune system. But we can look at this virus that we know really well. We've studied for a long time hepatitis. We can... St- you know, get a little piece of that off and, and and just combine it all together. So overall, your immune system, like, I love the analogy you made of like, now it's shiny and it's jingling. I was thinking of a fishing lure, you yep. know, and now you've added like all these different <laughs> little things on it. So yeah, so the immune system is just, it allows it to uh, better recognize it and, and mount that response. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's so, usually, sorry, uh, just jump in. That's usually the problem with vaccines, right? So, so finding something on the parasite or the virus or whatever it is, that's a technical challenge in itself, but it's one that we can do. But getting your immune system to pay attention, that's the biggest challenge. How do you make it shiny enough, jangly enough so that your immune system says, oh, okay, right, I've got to deal with this. Um, And that's where, you know, a lot of the technology has focused on trying to make sure that we can actually respond to these. Because in the lab, there are lots of vaccine targets which have seemed to be successful when you work on a cell line or you work in a Petri dish. But then as soon as you put it into people, there are so many competing signals that your immune system may not be able to see it as well. Hmm. Yeah, that's actually, you know, I've never really thought about that. And it makes sense that, you know, like if, it, if the immune system was just able to recognize these things in the first place, mm-hmm. you know, we wouldn't need a vaccine. <laughs> you know, they wouldn't be able yep. to get in in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. But then it's like, yeah, so you have to actually like finding the target is one thing, but then there's this, you know, in, in real time, it's, there's so much noise going on. There's so much going on in the body that the immune system might just like, might not just, just might not pick it up. And so we got to give it a little bit of a push, got to give it a little bit of help. Yeah. And also, you know, you've got to remember that the other side is always evolving as well, right? So as we get better at fighting parasites and viruses and bacteria, that the other side is is not just standing still saying, yeah, go ahead, hit me with it. it. They are also developing. So, you know, these malaria parasites, if you, you know, if you have a sporozoite, so you get infected from the mosquito and you have this stage called the sporozoite, it's going to head to the liver. One of those can generate up to 10,000 parasites. So if your immune system lets even just one go, you can still get infected with lots and lots of parasites so your immune system has to really for for you know for vaccine to be effective it has to be really effective if we want to eradicate the disease it's going to have to be 100 percent, basically which this one is not but it's it's alleviating disease which is already helpful Mm -hmm. so then yeah let's let's talk about that because if you looked if you saw headlines or if you dug into any of the you know articles or something about this you would see that you know, the efficacy or some of the numbers that are being thrown around is like 30%. Whereas, you know, we saw the, again, to make the COVID example, we saw, you know, the initial reports about COVID vaccines were 90%. And even now they've, they've remained very, very high. 
and we're still struggling with COVID. So this one appears to be the efficacy is, is yeah, I think around 30% is kind of what I saw. So is that a problem? Like it, you would, on the, on the face of it, you would look at that and say, well, that's not very good. Um, yeah, so this is what, this is why when the COVID vaccines came out and people were saying 70%, you know, immunologists were jumping for joy whilst everybody else was saying that sounds pretty pathetic. Um, <laughs> you know, okay, so, so vaccines are hard, number one. Um, and right now, it, it really depends on what your goals are. If your goals are eradicating disease, 30% isn't going to cut it, right? Not even close. I mean, why would you bother? If your goal is eradicate, is um, alleviating disease and pathology and illness, then actually, if you think about it, malaria affects mostly children who are under five in sub-Saharan Africa. These are the ones that are the worst affected. So... If you can have a vaccine that would allow these children to have less disease, to get past that zero to five year window where they're most vulnerable um, and where a lot of their different systems are developing and so malaria can have more of an impact, that starts becoming more of a realistic you know, target that you can, you can aim for and where 30% might actually be worth it because it's like, well, if we can improve life for 30% of children who are infected, isn't that, isn't that better than nothing? So, you know, the numbers really reflect what you're interested in and what you're looking at as well. So, you know, with the COVID numbers, those 95% numbers that the RNA vaccines uh, have, they're about hospitalization. So 95% of people don't go to hospital, but it's not 95% of people don't get infected. You can still get infected even if you're vaccinated. And so again, it depends where you draw that line. Um, here with the 30% efficacy, I think it was about having severe malaria episodes, but I'd have to check the, the papers to check what the exact outputs were. But, you know, if you read the papers, they had significant improvement on disease scores, fewer deaths. Um, and so for areas where there's high malaria um, it's been deemed that actually, yes, it's worth 30%. We, we'd much rather be at 70%. We're just not there yet. So we'll take 30% and work with that. Um, and also there's the most recent paper that came out is really encouraging where they found that if you have the vaccine and you have antimalarials at the same time, that has an additive effect. So it's even it's better than the 30%. And so that's really encouraging because in, in these kinds of areas where there's a lot of malaria, maybe having prophylactic treatment. So you would take the antimalarials, even if you didn't actually have malaria and the vaccine over the bad rainy malaria season, that may be a way of protecting children that would be more effective than just the vaccine on its own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really good point to kind of to 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 make is like well what is the goal like what is the goal mm -hmm. of our campaign and 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 being realistic about like let's work with what we have right like don't let perfect be the enemy of you know of of actually just doing something so uh that makes a lot of sense to me uh and yeah some of the stuff that i was just reading as well says like you know that they're really expecting this to go yeah like you said hand in hand with um the the sort of classic other drugs that we have to, to mm -hmm. help malaria but also the things like you know bed nets mosquito mm -hmm. control all of those kind of things and that if you just add this tool to the toolbox you could actually improve the lives of a lot of like you mentioned children really yeah and you know 
So let's not forget this vaccine has been 30 years in the making and a lot of good people have been working on it. So so it's not like it's, um, you know, people haven't tried. And also, you know, some of the most severe impacts of malaria can be on cognition, um, neurological development, all these things where, um, you know, in young children that really can impact things later on. And so, even if we can just delay them getting malaria or get them to have a milder malaria, that may have quite a significant impact on um, themselves as individuals and their societies and their groups as a whole, if, if everybody's just that little bit healthier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I guess my qu- an- another question I have then is, um, and you kind of touched on it a little bit before, that you know, as we do these interventions, uh, the parasites aren't staying, uh, you know, complacent. They're also uh, evolving to fight back. And I think malaria is a pretty, you know, classic case of evolving resistance to anti-malarial drugs. Uh, it's one thing that, you know, I learned in intro biology, you know, all the time. It was the kind of case study for like, this is what happens when you uh, apply drugs uh, to a to a disease. They They evolve resistance. Is there any concern about that with with a vaccine? Um, Vaccines can, so there's a lot of literature on this um, and there's a lot of debates about whether vaccines can push parasites to increase virulence. Um, uh, It starts getting quite technical, but yes, anything, essentially anything you do you know, whatever we push, that the, the parasites are going to push back. So to think that malaria isn't going to change if we have these max vaccination programs is naive. How they're going to change, how quickly they're going to change is something that, you know, we need to study. I think what we do know and what people have showed is that, you know, in these children that are vaccinated, the way it works right now is, is you get four doses, which is a huge number <laughs> and not ideal but it's what we've got. But the protection doesn't last a huge amount of time. So these children who were, you know, protected by the vaccine in their first five years will get malaria later. It's been shown that they'll get it when they're seven, eight, nine. So it's not that they're um, protected forever. It's, it's maybe that we might have a window of protection when we think they're most vulnerable. But, you know, to get back to your question, are we going to, is the parasite going to respond? Most likely. Um, will we get vaccine evasion kind of strains most likely too it's what people talked about with the covid vaccine as well right the covid vaccine is to certain covid strains so are we going to start seeing as as the virus is given time to change and just like as malaria would be given time to change are we going to start seeing uh, malaria parasites or, or covid viruses that are able to infect and and cause havoc despite the vaccine all the biology training that i've had will say yes but how that manifests itself is is just going to depend on how quick we are, where we deploy that vaccine, how intensely that vaccine is deployed, how quickly the malaria parasite changes from year to year, how quickly drug resistance evolves side by side. Like there's a whole bunch of of parameters which I'm sure people are working on to try and understand how this will shape 
malaria biology in the future. Well, and I, I think I, I guess I should just make, you know, uh, myself clear for the audience and stuff too. It's, it's, it's not a reason to not do it. You nope. know, like, like it's, <laughs> it's, it's obviously, you, no. know, you know, you should still, we should still yeah. use this tool, right? Just like we should still use the COVID vaccines and stuff. It's just sort of, I guess, like, and as you're kind of putting it, like it's, it's an inevitable, it's an inevitable, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, thing about biology is that it's just that that will happen but we can be aware of it and like you said we can give these people these children mostly a window to to sort of get through their most vulnerable uh stage and then you know we'll then we'll deal with what comes next yeah and also you know things change as we go so for example before when we did drug development against anything bacteria viruses parasites we would just you know you do your drug development throw it out then and be happy now as people develop drugs they also study resistance profile that may arise from these drugs so now when we start using these drugs we are already aware of what resistance patterns are likely to occur and we try to mitigate for those so you know because we know more and we understand more about resistance and you know for vaccines it would be um, vaccine escape Uh, mutants, because we understand more about them, we can study them and try and use that knowledge to help our vaccines or our drugs last longer. But it doesn't mean that you don't um, have those in the first place. That would be ridiculous. Otherwise, we'd never get anywhere. But it just means that now we just have more information on whether there's anything that we can do to limit the um, occurrence of these escapees or, you know, manage them a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And so then that kind of brings me to the the last thing that I wanted to talk about, because I was already in my little bit of reading on this, too. They were already saying, hey, we we have a next generation coming. There's another one along the line. And like mm-hmm. you said, there's they're already thinking about what the next stage is, what the, how can we make it better? you know, if it does change, you know, here's another, you know, protein we can target, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So do you see just like in your, you know, sort of general opinion or whatever, this seems like a really big deal to be able to get, you know, even, you know, as we discussed, it might look like low ep- efficacy. This is 30 years in the making. This is a really big deal. Do you see it as a, you know, a big step for other um, you know, maybe parasites related to malaria or other parasites that we have not yet been able to vaccinate against that, you know, some of the techniques here or some of the breakthrough here could be, you know, spur on development in other areas? Yeah, I mean, parasites are tricky because um, very few of them, malaria is one of the only big killers that people would have heard of, right? If you talk to people in general, if they've heard of a parasite, malaria might be one of them because um, it's in the news relatively frequently um, and it does cause death. A lot of other parasites, you know, they're not as sexy because they don't, they don't cause people to die. They cause a lot of horrific pathology and, and being uncomfortable and um, really nasty things, sores and boils. And you can look up parasites on the internet and, and I would you know, not type that in and look at pictures because you're going to get a horrific set of symptoms and, and um, gross detail. But those things are less, you know, it's it's harder to argue that we need vaccines for these things when they, they don't cause death. So there has been less focus on other parasites as well. Mal- malaria is one of the ones that has had a lot more focus because it's it's easy to point to, you know, we want to save some children. So there's a clear defined aim there. You know, there are a lot of people working 
on other parasite vaccines. I mean, if we're talking complexity, malaria is relatively simple compared to, let's say, a large worm, which is much bigger, can also travel around or can travel around the body, also has multiple stages, um, and they're excellent at evading the immune system. Um, so, you know, the range in parasites, when we think about it, malaria is a single cell. So of all the parasites, it's it's um, that group of single-celled parasites is, is probably the one that most closely resembles anything like a bacteria, a single cell that that can um, that does its thing. When you start getting to multicellular parasites, it gets even more complicated. We do there are a couple of vaccines out there for parasites. They're not for humans. Um, they're in in vet research, and so um, there's one for Toxoplasma, which is um, closely related to malaria and people may have heard of it because you, you hear about it as the cat parasite. And then there is another veterinary vaccine for um, Hemonchus, which is a, a blood sucking worm that infects sheep. But these are not, these haven't translated to human vaccines for various reasons. Usually um, with veterinary vaccines, we're a little bit less concerned about, I don't want to say if something goes wrong, but uh, you know, when you have a flock of sheep, if if the vaccine doesn't work so well, or if the vaccine causes one sheep to become ill, but you save most of the sheep, that is tends to be acceptable on the veterinary level. At the human level, there's a lot more stringency uh, with safety, for example, um, and efficacy. So when it comes to human vaccines, there's lots of people working on parasite vaccines. And all this RNA technology that's come out for COVID is being applied uh, to parasite vaccines as well. So I, I had a quick look before I, I chatted to you and, and there is a malaria vaccine in the works. That's an RNA vaccine. Um, there's also one for leishmania, which is another single-celled parasite. And I think toxoplasma is another one as well. So as vaccine technology improves, parasitologists are going to jump on these new platforms and try and see if they if it will work in our context. It's just that inherently it's more difficult to get an immune system to see the parasite in the first place. And so that's where the, the trick comes in. And so finding ways to make sure your immune system pay it, pays attention, that's where the platforms are going to help. So this mRNA platform is really good at making your immune system pay attention. So if we can harness that to try and get it to work, that would be excellent. And the nice thing about RNA vaccines as well is that you can put different types of RNA in the same vaccine. So you could have RNA from different life cycle stages or from different parts of the parasite. And so now you're showing the immune system a more complete picture of what you're looking for. Interesting. Interesting. I was wondering, you know, if, if the mRNA stuff would, you know, how that's going to, you know, um, expand beyond, beyond COVID. And you've given us a little teaser on that. So that's super fascinating. Um, you touched on a couple other things. I think this is kind of just a little bit important to to talk about uh, as we wrap up here. And that's, you know, it, and it kind of goes back to what you're saying, like what the goal of your of your vaccine and stuff is. And with a lot of these parasites you mentioned, they don't cause death. And that's kind of how we measure these things a lot of times is is death, right? When there's so many other outcomes that are um, 
you know, not mm-hmm. great. <laughs> and you mentioned, you know, developmental things in children and stuff like that. And I know a lot of parasites can do that. And then to go along with that, so that's a one reason why these things kind of maybe fall under, uh, under the radar in terms of funding and the sort of, you know, dedication and from money on the money side that we need, but also in that these things occur in poor places of the world where we're not necessarily companies aren't necessarily going to make their money back. And I don't want to be the, you know, like feed into that narrative of like, oh, big bad pharma, but it's just a reality of how things go. And I think that's, you know, kind of important to sort of just mention here that this is another reason why, you know, initiatives to fund vaccine development and vaccine rollouts and stuff in, you know, sub-Saharan Africa, other parts of the parts of the world where, yeah, you're not necessarily going to make your money back, but, you know, they're they're desperately needed. Yeah, and, and you know, we'll be honest, it costs billions of dollars to develop a vaccine. Um, you know, if you think about all the people who have worked on this one for 40, 30, 30 odd years, you know, it's Glaxo's, but it was many collaborations as well. Um, and companies are not charities. You know, at some point, they have shareholders and they they have to make money. Now, um, you know, there are agreements sometimes. So, for example, I think it was Merck for their treatment of, um, oh, I'm going to forget the name now, but river blindness, essentially, which is due to a parasite as well and causes blindness in people. Many, many, again, in sub-Saharan Africa, they did have some agreements so that they would either sell it at cost or provide it for free i can't remember but the you know these agreements they they make they have to these companies have to make these choices and um you know those choices aren't always super easy there isn't really an incentive for these companies to start making a lot of these vaccines because your target population is is poor uh the target governments are also poor um, and so you know it's going to cost billions. You know it's going to be really hard. Likely your product at the end is not going to be perfect, and you you may not get paid, right? So so the incentive is <laughs> is not great. Now I know with this vaccine, the malaria vaccine, there's discussions with Glaxo as to how the funding is going to work. You know, are they going to make it? affordable for these governments at the moment it's been licensed it's recommended by the who for areas of intense malaria infection so it's not recommended everywhere you know so how the company is figuring out how it can manufacture it and sell it and then whether there are other setups where it could sell it for you know more expensive because they would be different populations i don't know but these are always tricky um, situations that are, you know, a lot of organizations have taken part in getting this vaccine to where it is, but but now, you know, distributing it and getting it to the people who need it is still a significant hurdle. And I mean, that's 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 a whole, you know, that's a whole nother podcast right there in terms of you know mm-hmm. vaccine funding and how do we do this kind of yeah. thing, a whole nother discussion. So we'll leave that for for another day and uh, we'll end it there. And I'll just say thank you again. Thanks for your time. Uh, it was great to great to hear from you. Thanks for your input. No problem. Hopefully, everybody learned something today. <laughs> I sure did. So then it's it's worth it right there. So <laughs> that's it. There that's why I do it, right? <laughs> Again, many thanks to Dr. Constance Finney for joining us to discuss this uh, interesting uh, malaria vaccine and also to give us insights into vaccines uh, in general. Uh, It was a fascinating conversation, and I appreciate her taking the time. Hope you enjoyed it. Please rate, subscribe, comment wherever you get your podcasts. Head over to the website, 2bradforyou.wordpress.com. 
hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at TooBradForYou, the email address TooBradForYou at gmail.com, or there's a link to leave us a voicemail. All of that is on the website TooBradForYou.wordpress.com. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you next time. Until then, take care. Bye for now.